we are out here standing up for women's rights because we believe that women's rights are human rights. We stand up for equity and equality in communities of color. We stand up for immigrants, union workers, and we stand for matters concerning environmental justice. We stand against the violence and exploitation of any and every vulnerable and marginalized population. We stand for justice. And when we stand up, we show up and we speak up. Good evening. My name is Reverend Leslie Dwight, and I'm the Minister of Social Justice at Community of Hope AME Church. I want to welcome you to another installment of the Hope Activism Institute's training. It's my honor and my privilege to also bring you greetings on behalf of our pastor, Reverend Tony Lee. Listen, it is not often that we bring back a special guest, but it's my privilege to invite you to tune in tonight as we have as our special guest, Nicole Tisdale. She is the founder of Advocacy Blueprints, and whether she's working with individuals or clients from Fortune 500 companies, her goal is to help accelerate policy issues, increase advocacy efforts, and help individuals and organizations create the change that they want to see within their organization or communities. She's also the author of The Right to Petition, and today she's here to help us make the ask. We're talking all things advocacy outcomes and efforts. So tune in. You don't want to miss these tips and tidbits for making the ask. So we are so excited to have with us tonight Nicole Tisdale. She's going to help us expand the conversation that we've had around advocacy. What is it? How does it work? And how do we do it in such a way that we actually reach our goal? Nicole, welcome. Welcome Hi. to the to back, welcome back to the community of hope. I think last time we had you, you were live and in person um, at the SEOH. How you been? I've been well. The difference a year makes. Um, right? <laughs> but thank you so much for having me back again. I had such a great time with you all doing the advocacy training and then staying for the service. It was like a warm hug the whole time I was here. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm so glad that you enjoyed yourself, but we, um, you got grave reviews when you came the first time. And so we are so grateful that you gave of your time to come back to finish this dialogue with us about the work of advocacy. So look, you know, by the time this airs, it's March. It is Women's History Month. Um, and I don't even want to relegate it to a month because if we're going to be quite honest about it, this has been the year of the woman on many fronts. So my first question to you is, who's your Shiro? Oh, who's my Shiro? That's such a good question. Um, well, so I'm like a total geek about advocacy and policy. So I would say my Shiro is probably Congresswoman Bunny Watson Coleman from New Jersey. I love her because she, I got to work with her when she first got to Congress, but she's a longtime policymaker and a lawmaker, a public official. She had served in New Jersey before she got elected to Congress. And I like her so much because she teaches as she makes policy. And as someone who is teaching advocacy, she kind of speaks my love language. Right. Um, but I just, I love how focused she is in terms of doing the things that are going to help the people who need it the most. Um, and that is how she deduces her policy stances. That's how she decides how she's going to go forward. Um, and it's really how she serves not only her constituents, the people from New Jersey that she represents, but really all of us. Um, she's done a number of programs focused on um, Black women's health, um, but also just the mental health of Black teenagers and maternal health issues. And so um, she, I'm, I'm a huge Congresswoman Watson Coleman fan. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've had the privilege of meeting her once or twice and I love her. She's so gracious, but you're right on point with, you know, her um, ability to do policy making that that is that keeps in mind like women and even in particular like black women. So she is um, I understand I co-sign on the fact that she's a shero. And if I had to talk about my Shiro, I think one of the people that I've lifted up, even in the other segments, uh, you might be able to relate to this because she's a Mississippi girl, um, but um, it's Fannie Lou Hamer. And the reason that I love her so much is because she wasn't a politician necessarily and that her advocacy efforts were birthed out of her experience. And so just like we're talking to the people today about, you know, advocacy, her passion was driven out of the life that she lived, the struggles that she endured for herself and for her family. Um, and I'm just inspired by that, that you don't have to have all the degrees, you don't have to have all the political connections, you don't have to be favored by certain people, you just have to have the drive to want to make a change. So for that, um, she went down into history books, but she put a little stamp on my heart because um, she is like somebody that I um, admire. I'll say it like that. Yeah, I think she's a wonderful example. Like I, I guess we should tell folks that we're both Mississippi girls. Yeah, um, yes we are. <laughs> but but I will also say with her, um, I, I don't know if, if if people who are listening are familiar, but one of the things that she advocated for is financial resources and stability for Black people in in the Black community in Mississippi and abroad. And she had this program, the Pig Bank, where um, she would give people, she would give Black people, like they would raise money as a community, buy someone a pig so that they could start farming. And as somebody who grew up on a farm in Mississippi, we didn't have, I tell people that, I'm like, we didn't have a lot of hogs, we didn't have a lot of land, but we are the product literally of the Pig Bank. And like the idea of that is like, if you give, if we give a family a pig, we can take care of a whole family because you can raise that pig, you can grow that pig, you can get some land, you can grow other things. And I think that's a really great example of like your advocacy can be something you do every day and you can pass that along for generations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so I want to, that's a real good segue because I think there is this piece where we talk about advocacy and we talk about the legislative piece and we talk about the economic piece, but she did the service piece that kind of accompanied the advocacy piece. Um, and I, I, I remember that whole pig bank thing. And I, and you know, I, I believe that there are other models of service that were kind of modeled after that. I'm thinking about like even, um, in like my own sorority, like some of the programs that we've done in different countries in Africa that, you know, you give women, you know, um, grain grinders and things like that, things that allow them to make their own, you know, economic um, resources come into their own household. Like, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to walk away from that. But I guess my point is that um, advocacy is, you're right, is more than just policy, but sometimes it's what you're doing, like, you know, in your own community. Yeah, so. a, it is literally, especially as your congregation can appreciate too, it is literally teaching a man to fish, right? right? Like it is this concept of if you teach people skills, like what we're about to talk about today, we're going to talk about general advocacy. And if that is, if you are very passionate about racial and social justice, then you can use those skills for that. If you're very passionate about the environment, you can use the skills for that. We're teaching you how to fish, and then you decide the type of fish that you want to get. So I love it. I like that analogy. 
I like that analogy. And so let's focus in on um, the ask, the advocacy ask. That's where we want to ground our conversation today. Um, and I want to ask you, why is it important for us to kind of plot out the ask that we need to make around our advocacy goals? I think it's important to have a plan. And with most things, I'm a planner, so I nothing makes me happier than a good plan. But in terms of advocacy, anytime you have an issue, it could probably go in a lot of different directions. And so I think it's important to come up with a plan and decide exactly what it is that you want and also how you're going to get there because it's going to keep you grounded so that you're not getting so distracted and getting pulled in multiple directions because we, we want to get to that end goal. And if you take on too much, you can get burnt out, you can get overwhelmed, you can, you can just decide that it's not worth it. And so a good plan just helps you stay focused, but it also gives you milestones and wins along the way so that you can see your progress. Yeah, we're going to come back to that milestones and wins piece um, because I think that that's something important to highlight um, as we talk about how we move through this process. Uh, but I want to go to your book for a second because in your book that a lot of us at Community of Hope already have, um, but in your book you talk about how to think through the what-if situations and the how-to situations and making your ass. So, you know, we've done advocacy one-on-one -on -one to some level, right? So we know that we got to go out and we got to get our information. We know that we got to do the community organizing piece. But when you talk about the, you know, the what if situations and the how to's, like what exactly are you talking about and what should we be asking ourselves as we plot out our ask? That's a good question. So I tell folks all the time, like once you decide what you want to ask or what the problem is, even if you haven't gotten to the place of knowing exactly what you want to ask for, Think about those people that like you tell them that it's raining and they tell you it's not raining. Or like like you really got to think about the naysayers. You got to think about the people who are going to be opposed and you need to proactively think through what they're going to say so that you can address it. So if I, um, when I worked on Capitol Hill, I was always very suspicious of someone that would ask me to do something and I would say, well, who's opposed to this? And, and who is going to be against this? Not because I was opposed to it, I just have to know who is going to comment me or who is going to comment at that public official. And people, anytime someone said, oh, no one, and no one's opposed to this, I'm like, now, I'm not saying that's impossible, but that's not likely. And so I would encourage people, even if it makes all, whatever you want your ass, it makes all the sense in the world, someone is still going to be opposed to it. So think about that ahead of time. So that you can even raise it as an issue. You don't have to wait on people to ask you who is opposed to it. You want to be in a place where you say, this is what we want to do. Now, some people are going to think that it that is too extreme or that it's not necessary. But to those folks, I would say X. Um, and so it's really about you trying to get into that, figure out where people are going to poke holes into your plan so that you can already have the, the tools that you need to plug the hole. Like, we're not trying to have people... Ask you one question and the whole ship goes down. Like, we got to make sure that we are ready for that kind of stuff. We got to play offense, not defense. Is that how it goes? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that reminds me, like, I was recently in this current year, this legislative season, I was working on a, a local piece of legislation. Um, and, you know, I asked that same question of, like, one of the lobbyists that was trying to get me to come on board with some legislation. I was like, who is the opposition? 
And then they were struggling to tell me who, you know, the opposition was, but eventually they were able to tell me who the opposition was. And I was like, well, why are they opposed to the legislation? And, and you know, I had to do my own research too to find out who the opposition was, because it's not just the legislators. You want to know in the community, in the industry, you know, that's impacted by whatever it is that you're advocating for, like, what is their stance on it? And does their stance make sense? Because sometimes the opposition has some really good points, right? Um, and that doesn't mean that your point is wrong and what you're advocating for is wrong, but to your to your point, you know, you want to be able to build up your argument so that that kind of stuff doesn't catch you off guard. Um, and you want to know who's on your side, because I think part of your advocacy work um, is directed by not just, you know, garnering the supporters of, you know, who's already going to align with your goals, but trying to sway some people, know who's on the fence, right? And, and be able to kind of, you know, target your work so that when you're making your ask, you know how to frame, you know, your question. What I'm going to say to somebody that I know is a supporter is going to be different to somebody that I know is either on the fence or opposed to, you know, what um, whatever I'm advocating for. Yeah, and I'll say this too, when you think through who might be opposed to it, it also makes you, as as you point out, you may not be opposed to some of the things that they are suggesting, but it also gets you to start thinking through where you might be able to compromise. Right. Very rarely are you going to get all of the things that you want, and so once you start looking at who else is opposed to it, you can start thinking through, like, I could get down with that if they, if they tweak a little bit here or if they change a little something here. And so it gets you into a place of negotiations, which is what a lot of advocacy is about. Right. It's not an all or nothing situation. Exactly. It's not an all or nothing situation. So I want to take this conversation a little further because one of the things you talk about, um, you, you talk about three facets that we should consider before we make an ask to the legislators or their staff person, because you won't always get face-to-face -face time with the legislators themselves. So what are those three facets that we should consider? So one of the first facet is timing. So I always want people to, to be realistic and and aware of timing. Um, a lot of the time, so we were just talking about Women's History Month, right? It's March. That's a really good month to ask any public official to do anything related to women's health or women's education or um, girls in school. Anything related to women, this is probably a good month to do it because the thing is, a lot of public officials are living on these calendars, right? And so they are also trying to show the community, of course, we work every, they work every month of the year, but here during this month, let's highlight all of the legislation. Let's highlight all the events that we're doing for Women's History Month or Black History Month. But we see this stuff and it's like, um, we see this around Memorial Day, we see this around Veterans Day. And so timing is really important. And also when we're talking about timing, if you're going in front of some type of policymaking body or like some type of legislative body, you want to think through, like if you are asking for money for your community center, you want to make sure that they are actually at the point where they're considering money for community centers. If it is, if it's the day after they just passed the budget for the year, that might not be the best time because they literally are just coming off of like, we just did this, like we, you should have been here last week. And so the timing is really important. The other thing that I would say is the messaging. It matters how you explain a problem and it matters how you, you provide that solution to people. So um, I always warn people against saying that, well, the messaging is, is important or the messaging is we need to do it right now. And it's like, okay, well, for, for most people, everything that they're advocating for is important. Um, and so you wanna be able to message in a way 
that it gets the attention, but it also captures and makes whoever you're, the policymaker or the staffer that you're talking to feel engaged and want to help you. So I always tell folks, I'm like, make it easy for people to, to help you and make them feel like they are going to be empowered because they help you as well. So the timing, the messaging, and then the, the other thing is making the ask. Um, you really do have to spend a little bit of time and sit down and figure out exactly what it is that you want. So if you want more money for a community center, you can say, you don't have to, I, I, I share this with people all the time. I'm like, you don't have to go get a degree in political science and become a lawyer on this kind of stuff because you can make the ask in a way where you can say, I don't know exactly how to do this. I need, this community center needs more funding. I think I should be asking you to give us money in the budget, but should I be asking you for a grant? It's that kind of thing. Like you want to tell, you, you, you can be very honest with people and say, I don't know exactly what I should be asking for, but this is what I need. And what you're, what you're providing when you ask in that way is a place for them to provide you the solution. Because again, everybody is trying to get wins out here. Like the public official is trying to show you that they're being responsive to the things that you were asking for. And you have to set it up in a way that they can do that for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I, but I want to I want to talk about that for a second because I think that there are two points that you brought up, uh, or two points that kind of triggered me to go in this direction. Is that one um, that when it comes to timing and movement and messaging and you know all of that stuff, um, one of the things that you want to consider is um, how how do I say this? When it deals with the messaging, how do you make it make sense? You know that mean, make it make sense for me? Like yeah. that, that's what I'm trying to sum it up as, make it make sense. Because our legislators hold a whole lot of power, but we don't, we can't go in assuming that they already know everything, right? Um, yeah. And part of what, what, when you were talking, it made me remember when I was just sending an email to a legislator trying to get them to sign on to a piece of legislation the uh, legislator wrote back to me and said, I was going to oppose this, but I never thought about the points that you considered, you know, that you made me consider. And so now I'm changing my stance on this. And this is the position that I'm going to take. So I think, you know, that messaging, that timing, like how you incorporate all of that into, you know, your interactions with your legislators, I, I think is a big deal. Yeah. Um, but I want to go to something else real quick. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll circle back to the other piece that I was going to go to. Um, but in your book, you talk about wins. And I love to talk about wins. So can you talk to us about, you know, what should we be looking for when it comes to wins? You talk about short-term wins and long-term wins. Tell, tell me more. Yes, this is something that um, I, I always just want people to be realistic about what a win looks like. Um, so I, I know there are probably some sports fans out there. So I like the sports analogies for people um, where I'm like, you know, we know we watch a basketball game or a football game from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. And so every time there's a basket score, we're like, yes, we're getting closer to a win. We're getting closer to the win. When we're on the football field, every time it's a down, we're getting closer and closer to a win. You really have to think about your advocacy like that. For so many people, they think about that end goal, which is like, for a lot of folks, it's like, well, I, I got to have this legislation to become law. And I would say, back that up. 
Like if if that is if that is the ultimate goal, what are those baskets in between? What are the free throws in between? Where are the first downs? Because you want to make sure your advocacy plan has those wins as well. Because one, it's going to keep you from getting burnt out and it's going to keep you progressing towards your goal, as we talked about earlier. But it's also going to keep the people that you're engaging with engaged in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If if you if the only way I can give a win to you, Reverend, is to have a piece of legislation become law, that's tough. Like that's going to take a lot of time. That's a lot of first downs. That's a lot of baskets. That's right. a lot of free throws. Right. And so for people, when I say wins, the win is not just that end. It's all of those many steps in between. And those count. They absolutely count. Right. Uh, and so I want to go back a little bit because there is a reason why I went to the wins. Um, you were talking about, you know, how you engage your legislator and how you can come, you can come to the table sometimes and just say, look, I don't know what the, what the vehicle is. I don't know what the method is, but this is what I need in terms of my outcome. But what happens and what do you say to the person who, you know, we think that we got to win because now we finally got some FaceTime only to get the FaceTime and the person, the decision maker that we're sitting in front of gives us cookie cutter answers or they don't, they're not really interested in helping us get to the win. Like what, where do we, how do we navigate and how do we pivot in that situation? Yeah, I would say the, what I try to warn people against is the, the interaction isn't the win, right? The interaction is where you make the ask. So the fact that they responded to your email, did you ask for something in the email? The fact that you got the meeting, did you ask for something in the meeting? And for for, for new advocates, um, I, I just want to caution you, because sometimes I think we don't realize that the, the interaction with us is the minimum that public officials are supposed to do. They are supposed to respond to your email. They're supposed to respond to your letter. They're supposed to allow a space for you to come and meet with them or meet with their staff. Your wins are going to be the things that you are asking for. Um, And so you don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be combative about it. But um, the the vehicle is a thank you. So like we're we're very Southern. So we're going to, I'm going to thank you for having the meeting. But now I need to ask you for something. Thank you for responding to my email. I have something that I actually need. Um, and so when you're getting cookie cutter responses, be direct, be very direct and say, thank this meeting has been so good, Reverend. I really do appreciate it. But we did not get to my question. We, I still don't have an answer. And you're going to have to be bold and you're going to have to feel comfortable saying that because sometimes it, it does make us feel uncomfortable because, you know, when somebody is trying to like ease you out of a room or like, they're like, oh yeah, thank you so much for telling us about this. And it's like, well, okay, I'm, I'm glad that you're informed, but I am making an ask of something and I want to respond. Right. And I, I love what you said about being direct um, because it's required and some and some elected officials and decision makers um, will not move unless you require that of them. Yeah. Because if you can, they have a lot going on. If they can make you go away with a cookie cutter answer, um, then, you know, that's a checkbox off their list. But, you know, if they're saying, OK, well, I'll, I'll research this and I'll look into it. Well, when will you follow up with me? You know, what steps, what does that look like? You know, what is, what does next steps look like? When can we convene these people that you're talking about that need to help you to make a decision 
You know, when can we bring them to the table? That's the that's the work. That's the grit of the of the advocacy work um, that people have to be prepared to do. So I kind of wanted to go there um, because I think that that's related into how you shape your 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 ass. Don't just walk away saying, "Oh, you know, I met with so and so," and then you're nowhere further than when you really started. Yeah, and that, that gets into that accountability piece, right? So I tell people, I'm like, you know, we're all running this relay of civic engagement. So voting is the first leg of the relay race. And then the second leg of the relay, relay race, my tongue is getting tired, is to make the ask. And then after you make the ask, you've got to hold them accountable. So to your point, those are all examples of accountability. So when are you going to do this? When can I follow up? I am calling to follow up because you said you were working on this. Can I get a status update? That's that third leg of the relay race. And you have to have, like, you have not done enough because you have marched or protest. You have not done enough because you have made the ask. Like, now you got to hold these people accountable. And if they don't do what you have asked them to do, when we circle back to that first leg, we're coming for your seat, right? Like, you can't, you can't stay in office if, you don't, if you're not responsive to us. Um, so yes, I'm a big proponent of the accountability piece. Yeah. And can we just add another piece in there? Because as you say things, like, I'm just like, my mind is going like this. Um, and one of the things that I'm thinking about when you, you know, just had that part of the discussion is don't take it personal. Like, you know, when you have to be direct and you have to follow up and you have to hold people accountable, it can feel sometimes like it's very personal. Um, and it's personal to you because you want to see an issue that matters to you through. But I wouldn't worry about as long as you're being polite and you're being courteous. I would, if I have to call your office three times. If I have to call your office five times, if I have to go up the chain, and sometimes you will have to do that, right? Like you'll have to escalate a situation. Hey, I'm talking to, you know, this legislator. Oh, you know, you're on this committee, but now I need to go to the chair. Oh, well, you know what? This side of the house isn't working for me. I need to go over here, right? So don't be afraid to, you know, continue to pursue uh, the cause that you're pursuing because it's not personal, right? It's, it's not an attack again. And I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We had um, Reverend Stephen Green on here and he went through the six steps of, uh, of, social, of social change, nonviolent social change. And one of the things that he said when he was talking about reconciliation, um, he was basically saying that, you know, this is never about an attack against the person, but oftentimes the things that we're advocating for are attacks against institutions that are basically harming our people. Um, and so I don't know what the issue is that whoever is watching out there is going to pick up, but I think that it's key that we understand and underscore that when you have to pursue that you know we do it in a way that's christ-like and it's professional um but we're not afraid to hold people accountable to be direct and to do the follow-up so yes I, I i call that um showing up with the sugar but keeping the vinegar in your purse kind of thing um you know with the analogies <laughs> you know or maybe we'll say hot sauce because i do love beyonce so i'll like keep the hot sauce in the purse right. um but yeah I, I think that's absolutely true and if you're struggling with that because i know sometimes we do like people are they feel like they're being too too aggressive like i've called too many times and i'm like just do the mental exercise would you still be calling would this still be a problem if I wasn't in charge, if the reverend wasn't in charge, and if the answer is yes, then keep calling, keep doing it. This has nothing to do with the person. To your to your point from the earlier lessons, this is about policy change. 
And if someone has decided to take on that position of being in a place of power and in a place of policymaking, their job is to be responsive. And they also need to hear from you too. It's a very lonely space for some of these policymakers when they don't hear from people. Like they're trying to make decisions based off what they think people want them to do. But if you are not advocating, which is nothing more than just using your voice to make change, they don't know what, what they should be doing either. And, and for a lot of them, they really do think they're making the right move. And then they do something and they get all this pushback. And it's like, well, you got to be a part of the process all the way throughout. You can't just wait until something happens and then try to get engaged. Right. So I want to go take a couple of steps back. We're doing a dance here. I want to take a couple of steps back because one of the questions that I asked initially was about the importance of, you know, being able to plot our ass. Um, and as we got into this conversation about the wins, the negotiation piece become, is coming back into play for me because as you plot your ass, one of the things that's coming to mind is the fact that you should probably expect that there's going to need to be some negotiation along the way, right? But you can't negotiate if you haven't plotted out your ass because you don't know well, what level you can concede. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's such a good question. Well, so the visual that I tell for people is like, think about it like a mountaintop. So at the very top of the mountain, what is the thing that you have to have happen? And then scale down from that. Think about lower than that. What are all the things that you will take that will eventually get you there? And I tell people, I, I, I know most people don't want to actually draw the mountaintop and like do the exercise, but I want you to go through that exercise and have those things listed out because in true, in the true advocacy space, you're going to probably get to those things a lot faster and a lot easier than you're going to get to the top of the mountain. That doesn't mean you don't keep climbing. It doesn't mean that you don't keep pushing. And, and it is perfectly fair. Once you get one of those things to be like, you know what, Reverend, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. So I'm going to be back next week, though, because we still need to get to the top of the mountain. I still have this big ass that we did not make it to, but I really do appreciate all the work that you've done for this one. And so I really think it's important, and we've said it a couple of times now, but I don't think I can say it enough to people, plot out everything that needs to happen along the way for you to get to that end goal um, because it's going to make you, it's going to also make you more open to the complexity, but also the time of that end goal. Right. Um, one of the things that I want to, again, circle back to is when we're plotting our ask, one of the things that you talk about in your book is the information gathering piece. Um, and you talk about a, a piece that we have not talked about yet when it comes to advocacy, and that's, you know, researching the legislative, like, history. Um, of the cause of the issue that you're pursuing. And the reason I think that, you know, I want to focus in there is because I think that that informs and it can inform your ask, right? If other people who have been doing this work um, have pursued something and it hasn't been successful, then either A, maybe you want to tackle it another way or B, maybe you want to change your ask, right? But how do we do the legislative research? How do we do the legislative history? Yes, I'm going to, I'm going to save everybody a lot of time and I'm going to tell you the easiest way to do this because I don't want people to feel like you got to go to your, the, the congress.gov or you got to go to your state legislature and you got to like now learn how to read legislation in 60 and uh, 200 pages long. 
the easiest thing to do is when, and we used to do this when we were on Capitol Hill too, because sometimes it's, it is also the easiest and the fastest. You should put in the, mem the member of Congress or the elected official's name, and then you should put in as broadly as possible what you are trying to find out about them. So you should put in Fannie Lou Hamer, pig farm. You should put in Bunny Watson Coleman, Black Women's Hill. Like the thing that you are trying to figure out, put that in the search engine and start from there. Because what you're going to see for a lot of people, it's going to take you, especially for elected officials, it's going to take you to their Facebook page where they were talking about Black Women's Hill. It's going to take you to a speech that they made at another event or a piece of legislation that they've already done. Don't feel like you got to go take some crash course in legislative research or policy research to engage. That's also going to make it harder for you. And what you will also find on those, those searches when you set them up like that, you will find your partners. You will find other people who have thanked Congresswoman Watson Coleman for everything she's doing for Black women's health or maternal health. You will, you will see that the March of Dimes like, gave her a shout out on Twitter. Um, but you will see with Fannie Lou Hamer that a lot of the Black economics uh, trade associations or member organizations support that. And you will find your tribe. Like you will find the other people who are who are in the same space that you are, and it's going to be much easier because once you find your tribe, you can go to their website. They'll have a newsletter that you can sign up for. They'll have webinars where you can learn more about the issue so that you're not in this alone. Because the thing about advocacy is at some point, you're going to have to have a coalition of people. You're going to have to have other people who believe in what you believe in. Figure out where they are early. Um, and once you get associated with your tribe, to your earlier point, you can figure out some of that history too that you might not have been able to figure out all on your own. So yeah, I think the easiest way for folks, I'm like, whatever search engine you use, start there and don't make it super complicated. Just put in the official and the, the topic that you want to know about them and just kind of go from there. Absolutely. That's great. Well, unfortunately, our time together has come to an end. Tear. Oh, I know. It so I know. I know. Well, look, we have to keep inviting you back, Nicole. Um, <laughs> so I want to end on a on a positive note. Um, I want you to, because you've given us a lot. You've given us a lot to think about in terms of, you know, developing our offense plan, you know, thinking about what our wins are going to be, you know, really defining our ass, doing our research. There's a lot of different pieces. And so I want to give our folks some hope. Can you talk to us about um, a time in your advocacy work where you've had to use all these steps and it led to a win? Yes, um, I will I will talk about something that was very close to my heart. Um, when I worked on Capitol Hill, I worked on a lot of um, terrorism policy. And so like the things that we do in the aftermath of like a shooting or some type of terrorist attack. Um, and I, I know your congregation may remember in 2015 when the Charleston Church uh, shooting happened. Oh, that's very um, <laughs> You know? Yeah. And I felt so, honestly, like for a while, like in, in the like day after, I felt like so hopeless. Like I'm just like who, the kind of person that would do this mm -hmm. um, to churchgoers at church. And I just decided that I, I wanted to, to change. Like I wanted to know, and I started from a place of research. I was trying to get information about exactly how many cases of domestic terrorism, 
have happened, not just in 2015, but are we in the middle of a spike? Is this like just normal? Because I remember just feeling like this is happening more and more, but I didn't have the data to prove that it was happening more and more. And so, and, and also, you know, the Black community was very hurt by that because it was also like we just felt like we just didn't have anybody to help us. Like when, when terrorism happens to other folks, like everybody's breathing the action, but when it happens to us, we people just seem to be real casual about it. And so I started doing research and I realized that all of the data that we had about domestic terrorism was from nonprofit groups and like from outside groups, but our government wasn't giving us this data and I didn't know why. And I started going down the rabbit hole and I found out that we just stopped producing that report in 2005. We just, the FBI, the Congress cut some of their funding and they were like, we're not going to do the report anymore. And that was so troubling to me because if I don't know that there's been an increase in domestic terrorist attacks in Maryland or that they've been going up in Mississippi, we can't, we cannot create policy to be responsive to it because we don't know what's going on. For five years, I worked piece by piece and piece by piece was like, we're going to have a hearing on domestic terrorism and we weren't in charge of the hearings. And so you have to beg and plea. And it took four years before we finally got a hearing on domestic terrorism. But in between, we were doing all these briefings. We worked with the Congressional Black Caucus to hold their own hearings. We did all of these things and we started building our own legislative record. Um, and it really did take five years for it to become law to start requiring that that information be collected and made public again. But I got so many wins in between. We literally, we, we got some grant money for different communities because while we were waiting on that data, we kept making the case. We had all of these people who were talking about what had happened at their churches, what had happened at their synagogues, what had happened at their mosques. Um, and so that was to me, I'm like, if that is a story of like incremental wins <laughs> trying to, and I also share that to say, when it became law, I had already left Capitol Hill. Like I literally left be feeling like I didn't get it done. Um, but the thing about advocacy is somebody's going to always pick up the baton. When it's something that actually impacts other people, you can carry it as far as you, you can, and somebody else will be there to help along the way. So, yeah. And so now um, the report will be out this year, the first time we will know um, exactly how many domestic terrorism events happened in 2020 and we'll know exactly where they were so we can start to see like is it a bigger issue in Mississippi is it a bigger issue in Maryland like where where is that threat wow right? and look look at just what happened on Capitol Hill I mean I mean if there was ever a time for the report to come out oh my goodness thank you for being a trailblazer in that effort because you know we needed you for such a time as this it took five years but my goodness can you imagine what would have happened if that event would never would have never had a place to be recorded like in history not just in the in the history books but literally in the data that kind of informs like our strategies around domestic terrorism that's yeah, yeah. Well, well thank you so much again for stopping by and having this uh this conversation with us about advocacy ads thank you for furthering equipping us in this fight Listen, y'all, you know what it is. We are here every Thursday at 7 o'clock. It's the Hope Activism Institute, and we are equipping you to make change in your communities. I guarantee you, you don't want to miss this. Come back next week. We'll be having a conversation with our very own Pastor Reverend Tony Lee, and we'll be talking about coalition building and building allies in the fight. See you then. Peace. Bye, y'all.
I don't know about you, but I for sure am more equipped for this fight. Thank you, Nicole, for coming out and giving us all that you had in terms of tips and tools and techniques to help us perfect our advocacy efforts. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in tonight. And as we end every segment, you know what time it is. Every Thursday at 7 o'clock, you must tune in to get the next edition. But this next edition is a little special because this next edition is our final installment in this series. And coming to the table next week is none other than our very own pastor, Reverend Tony Lee. And we're going to sit down and have a whole conversation about building allyship and coalition building in this work. Phone a friend, share the video. You won't want to miss this. See you next week. Peace.